Good day, everyone. This is Marge Twisdale, producer and host of Prose, Poetry, and Purpose, your weekly opportunity to listen in as my guest authors go deeper into the backstory of their literary work. And we will have a specific focus on how they hope to inspire positive change in the world, one reader at a time. If you have to leave the show early, don't worry. All of my shows are available on demand at www.voiceofvashon.org. And now, let me welcome this show's guest author, Islander Marilyn Cochran Mosley. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, March. I'm enjoying being here, I guess. <laughs> oh, now you got to let those nerves go. You're a natural at this. Okie doke. So we met at the local VOR Lit booth, which started last year and can be found every Saturday at the Saturday Farmer's Market. And I'm really glad that we met and that I was able to see what you are doing and that you're able to take the time to talk with me today about your new book. Thank you for coming by. Well, thank you for having me. Now I'm looking forward. This is going to be great. Okay. So first things first, I am 42 years old and I've never known how to properly pronounce Dotson, Dotson. I mean, just, oh my goodness. So this is my chance to learn the proper pronunciation <laughs> of that word before I spend the entire interview saying it wrong. So teach me. Well, I I don't go into the German pronunciation. I just call them dachshunds. And a lot of okay. people, for simplicity, like to call them wiener dogs, but that, that <laughs> bothers me. Uh, I, I prefer to call them dachshunds. Okay, so, but you're not saying dachshund like a D-O-T. No. There's a, another sound in there. It's dachshund. It just kind of rolls right off your tongue. Okay. Warning to everyone listening now. I'm going to say this wrong the entire show. Dachshund. That sounds pretty good. Is it sort of like good. an X? Yeah, that's sort of. Dachshund. That's pretty good. Okay. I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I normally do language really well, but German is not really something I'm super good at. And it is German, isn't it? It is German, yeah. Right. Dachs meaning, uh, meaning badger dog. Oh, right. And, but it's a, the dox is the badger and the hun is the dog. Really? Badger dog? dog. Oh, that's really cool. They were, uh, well, they were originally trained to go underground after badgers. And badgers are pretty nasty animals, I right. guess, <laughs> particularly when they're being confronted down under, sure. under the ground. So that's why it was valuable for them to be short-legged and long because they were going through tunnels. Exactly. Exactly. Very excellent. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, th I think you mentioned something about that in your book because I caught a bit of that, but I hadn't heard the full yeah, story. Yeah, I usually introduce it with that because a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, I didn't. Badger dog. Wow. Okay, so my understanding is that you've been working with and writing about, here we go, dachshunds. Okay. Very good. <laughs> Yay. Um, for quite a while. I mean, like quite a while. So um. How about you go ahead and tell us how you got started, as in what was the inciting incident in your life that <laughs> caused your story to shift so that dachshunds came into it in such a huge way? Well, I was always a big dog person. I oh. love big dogs, collies, and I've had uh, uh, 
Griffin Pointer mixes most recently, and I've had uh, Golden Retrievers and and Labs. Mm-hmm. And when I got married in the mid 1970s, uh, the man I married was nutty about dachshunds. <laughs> I mean, he he we would be walking down the street, and he would go wild if he would see one. Aww. And I thought, well, all right. And his, uh, you know, I thought about this and thought about it, and and his birthday was on Christmas Day, so I thought, well, okay. So I went out and uh, bought him one for his birthday. And one for Christmas. And I came oh. home with him, and he says, you're out of your mind. <laughs> and I said, yes, I probably am, but here you are. Happy birthday and Merry Christmas. And so uh, oh, what wow. happened, having, uh, and I had a, a lab mix at the time that, uh, as well, but what happened, I fell in love with the breed. I, in mm-hmm. fact, I really, really went overboard. I really decided that these were really neat little dogs Mm -hmm. that i love very much of course they multiplied yeah and that's that's That's, what led understatement i think marilyn (laughs) (laughs) well the first batch uh we actually did sell four of them and then we went to alaska with the other two and uh uh the male dog was very tragically killed up there on oh. on a fourth of july uh he caught himself in the fence on his collar and oh. choked himself to death right. and so we kept the two remaining pups right and that's uh that's what those three of them then right became my best buddies right and and from there obviously now when what year was this well, it was in the late 1970s, uh, and in so it was fact, pretty soon after it, the wedding. It was well, the wedding was 1975, but yeah, the we got the dogs. It, I had him for a good couple of years, and then uh, uh, we took a trip to Alaska. Now you're going to get into a story. We took a trip <laughs> to Alaska. Uh, for me to complete the research on my dissertation. Mm-hmm. And my husband, late husband, was a, a pilot, and, and I wanted to include him in the research. So mm-hmm. we took the plane and flew over, oh, 13,000 miles into all the little villages and so forth mm-hmm. in Alaska. And we had uh, the three dachshunds with us. Oh, of course, because they'll fit in a plane. And that's right. And so out of it, I would write stories on postcards back to my office to say how I was progressing on my dissertation. Mm -hmm. And six weeks later, it came back and and I I went ahead, you know, got my my doctorate degree, uh, finished, uh, uh, finished it, and I was so glad to be done with professors telling me when I could cross T's and dot I's right. that I decided to take all those postcards and write this silly, silly book about the dachshunds traveling oh. with us and camping out with us. Right, right, right. And that's how the first, that's how it all started. Well, that's quite the inciting incident. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. So uh, let's see. That was in the late 70s. Um, and now we are headed towards, goodness gracious, so 80, 90, my goodness, about 30-some-odd years you have had 
Okay, wait, yeah, I, I can do this. Dachshunds in your life, and you have been writing about them. So we're going to come back to discuss all of your writing in a minute because first, now that we know what got you started, what I want to talk about is um, the fact that one of the things you've done is work with rescue groups. Do you, you told me you went down to Texas? Yes. I, uh, the rescue actually didn't come about until after my husband passed away, and I decided to get back into writing mm-hmm. uh, late 90s, uh, beginning around 2000, I think, is, and that was the first book that I wrote on rescue. Mm-hmm. But the previous three books were out of the, just about my dogs. They were about stories traveling in Alaska mm-hmm. or up to Alaska right. or going down the Yukon River in a 17-foot canoe with seven dachshunds. Oh, my goodness gracious. Okay, and I, I feel like um, it's a little overwhelming for me to make sure that the needs of my Boston Terrier are met. <laughs> and you, yes, okay. So when it comes to animal rescue organizations, I think most of my listeners are sort of aware that there's there seem to be two different groups, one of which I think a lot of us understand, like those that care for um, racehorses, pit bulls, um, greyhounds, animals that are unfortunately caught up in racing or gambling systems, which is basically all of those are about humans making money, you know, that, you know that's right. whatever. That's it's right. all about humans making money. And then as soon as the... Um, you know, the horse isn't a winner. You you know can't be a stud. Um, the greyhound tires out, and they're usually just killed. So we understand that those rescue organizations are focused on um, saving animals from these awful conditions. But then we have like um, the groups you've worked with, and I've seen others where they seem to be breed specific, but it's not a breed that's actually mixed up in some human money-making scheme. And so do people who do Dachshund, Dachshund Rescue simply adore and love Dachshunds? Or is there something going on that I'm unaware of that, that creates a need for this to exist, this, this rescue organization to be out there? Well, there's a number of reasons that Dachshunds need to be rescued. Uh-huh. And it's not just Dachshunds, it's all breeds of of dogs. Right. I happen to be focused on these <laughs> dachshunds. Yes. The um, when people there are a lot of people that are breeding them. They're puppy millers oh. that they're they want to breed them to sell them, and they mm. a lot of them are and it's it's all breeds. Right, and they will uh, they will breed them and. Uh, they don't really care about the health of the dog. They don't, uh, they're just absolutely deplorable conditions. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons that uh, I discourage people from buying pets in pet stores because these mm-hmm. pets are shipped from puppy millers that are making money. Uh, a lot of, and it ends up causing a lot of families that have got this cute little dog mm-hmm. just heartache because. They've not been, they've not been uh, formed right when they were right. during Sometimes the. Sometimes they're not even bred. Well, they're not so bred they well at all. That's problem. right. Oh, so it's still a money scheme. It's still a money scheme, but then there are other reasons why uh, rescue workers are involved. I mean, someone uh, 
has a dachshund and is their love of their life and they they die Mm -hmm. and their kids don't want to keep them or whatever and they'll just dump them or someone uh has them for uh i just ran across one yesterday on the internet it was a paradoxes down in uh, uh, texas that had uh, been dumped at the local shelter they were a bonded pair, and they were desperately trying to find a home for them. Right. I don't know the reason why, but they were 10 years old, mm-hmm. and people apparently got tired of them and maybe wanted to, you know, a lot of times they want to get uh, uh, puppies, get some right. younger dog or whatever, or the older ones maybe have some uh, oh, health, health issues. issues. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I recently, uh, what happened is I was at my girlfriend's house, and... There's another house near hers, and on the other side of the fence are these two um, pit bull breeds. And she's never had any problems with them or their owners. And um, there's this man sitting out there very, very quietly, exactly the way a man should be interacting with two dogs, that, that quiet manner of allowing them to sort of come to you and interact a little bit on their own terms, but... Anyways, he, all I know is I'm watching this, and I'm like, the guy knows what he's doing. It's phenomenal. And turns out this is what he does. He's like, you know, local dog whisperer type of thing. And these people were out of town, and had hired him to come and spend time every day with their dogs. And he mentioned in our conversation a person who had recently contacted him. They had a 10-year-old Great Dane or something that was having typical health issues, and they said, well... We can't afford to take care of the health issues, so we just want to give this dog away to someone else. And I'm like, you know, if you can't handle the health issues of a Great Dane at that age, you put it down. You don't hand it off to someone else so it can go through the loss of its family and then within six months probably die anyways. I mean, Great Danes barely make it past eight or nine. Well, this is the way I feel about my dachshund family. They are family. And uh, there's no way in the world that I could uh, get rid of them or just give them up just because they got old. Yeah. And uh, I I don't understand, you know, you don't give children away or at least most 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 of us don't. don't. Yeah. Well, and if they're young and they have a medical issue and you're in trauma, that makes sense. I think it was the fact that this animal had reached the end of its expected life. I mean, you know, Great Danes at 10 are, they're just on the very edge. And they spent their whole life with this family. This family was their whole life. That's right. And to put them through the emotional trauma, because probably they didn't want to go through the grief of actually putting their animal down. They were trying to protect themselves in a way. And and making the dog dog have to pay the cost instead of themselves. That's right. I don't know. For me, it didn't work. I was not happy. Well, Dachshund's now the oldest Dachshund that I'm aware of, uh, and he passed away, I guess, about a year ago, was 23 years old. And he belonged to a woman in uh, Rhode Island. I wrote about him in my last dachshund book that Mm -hmm. i wrote about his story and he had been a rescue when he was 10 or 11 years old Mm -hmm. as i recall and and she kept him she and her husband kept him and uh and oh my he was babied like you wouldn't believe Mm -hmm. by the time he was 23 and he's quite a cantankerous old man (laughs) oh my goodness gracious! but he lived until 23 years of age and and smaller dogs i think do tend to live 
longer than than your larger dogs. Yeah. And so it's it's uh, when you get this cute little puppy and so forth. Uh, it's a long. It's a a big a commitment. commitment. It is. It yeah. is. And uh, that's you know a lot of people don't look at it that way. Yeah. First thing I think of whenever I have any animal come into my life is. How long are they going to live, and can I commit to providing them with the highest quality life for that period of time? And unless the answer to that question is yes, I don't get the animal. That's that's absolutely right. Right now, I think I have too many of them, but mm. there's no way in the world that I would get rid of any one of them. Right. And, and you're not breeding them at this point? No, then? no, no, no. Yeah. I, the, the only time... Uh, the only I, I'm embarrassed about the first the first litter that I had of those of doxes way back in the 70s. I, mm-hmm. I just I thought, well, I wanted to have puppies mm-hmm. and and, uh, you know, and uh, we found good homes. I know we found good homes for three of the four pups that went. I never learned what happened to the fourth. I, she went to a home, but. Uh, and I can only I worry about that little dog even today. Mm. And but uh, the other three I kept in contact. I still get Christmas cards from one of the people mm-hmm. that that got one of the dachshunds. And then of course the other two, the two males that we had uh, that we kept. Uh, yeah, I kept them right until the very end. Right. And and that's uh, and then I had one more breed, uh, one more breeding with uh, with the mama dog and we ended up keeping all five of the boys and that that provided another book oh yeah yeah <laughs> another book and many many excuses for going on long walks i imagine well it is except now i'm getting to the point where i i'm not able to walk as much as i uh, can mm-hmm. but they uh those those five boys uh they were part of the group and their mother and then one of the the older brothers that they had were the the seven that went down the Yukon River in a canoe and that was a 200 mile trip. Oh my. Well, okay, right. And and small, you know, it's uh, my first dog tiny. I um first dog I ever had cuz growing up we always lived in rentals that would never let us have dogs. So as a child, I never got a dog. Um but tiny, I got her when she was a year and a half old and I was 18. And she was about six and a half pounds mm-hmm. and full grown. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, that little girl, I mean, she um, was with us for the whole family cried buckets when she finally passed. I mean, we oh. like lit candles around her gravesite for a month and a half. I mean, I'd stand and look out the window at night and just bawl. So she's definitely my first child in a way. And um, she went everywhere. So I, we would put her in, I could put her in my little backpack and leave a little hole open so she could stick her head out. And I would go on 35 mile bike rides with, you know, my first boyfriend, Joe in Sacramento, California. And she would just hang out the whole time. And, you know, we had to make sure the hawks didn't eat her if we let her out on the, on the shores of the river. But I mean, small dogs, I do find it's really fabulous. Their portability. I don't think you could have gotten seven great Danes in the canoe no necessarily so yeah but okay i have another question here but first um for those of you who are just joining us you are listening to prose poetry and purpose on 101.9 fm my name is march twisdale and my guest author this month is marilyn cochran mosley and 
we are not just talking about one book you've written. Um, we, nor your second or your third. Um, you've got a whole slew of them. How about you tell us about your other works? Okay. Well, I've got actually nine books on dachshunds. Right. Uh, the first three were basically stories of my own dachshunds that I didn't write for a while. And then when I came back, the next five books were included stories about my dachshunds, but by that time I'd become very interested in rescue. Right. And so I focused and I thought it was a, a good educational way to uh, teach people about uh, the need for rescue. Mm-hmm. And then this last book that I did is I went back to just writing about my own dogs, and I have several rescue as well mm-hmm. as, as not. And... Uh, uh, just their annex here on the island. Mm-hmm. So it's all focused. Uh, all of the dogs that are mentioned in here uh, were dachshunds that uh, are currently or were very recently here with me as part of my family on the island. So I, that's why I call it Island Dachshund Tales. Right, right. And of course, it's spelled T-A-I-L-S. That's on the right. Tales. Okay. And then you have um, a non-Dachshund-related book, which is, I believe, a memoir? Yes. It's uh, Adoption in Peru. Mm -hmm. So during the, in fact, 1986 to 87, there was a two-month period there. I went down to Peru for two months, adopted two kids, uh, brother, natural brother and sister. And the book is about the two months that I spent in Peru going through all of the red tape and mm-hmm. stuff with getting those kids. Right. And uh, it, uh, I did it initially as kind of something so they would have a sense of their own history and how right. we came about. And, of course, they're in their late 30s, and my son just turned 40 mm-hmm. uh, here a month ago. And... Uh, that was the primary reason for doing that. Then I also, way back when, did a Alaskan fairy tales for children. And mm. it's the fairies that, that go between Alaska and and uh, down here. Uh, the fairies Lord as in that F-E-R in the boat. Like, what does it take, like five days or something to get up there? Oh, it depends on where you're going. But, uh, well, actually, I think you can get all the way up the one on the inside passage. Probably, it's only about maybe two and a half days. No, they wait, stop. I think I've heard, so, oh my gosh, about 15 years ago, so a girlfriend of mine who actually grew up in a little non-electric, you know, very yeah. remote cabin in Alaska, was telling me about, because instead of the ships or, you know, cruise ships and all that, that there was these fairies, and on the top level, people would, like, bring their sleeping gear and set up their little tents I've on done the fairy. That. I've done that. Okay, so, t- all right, everyone, listen carefully, because I think this is, like, so awesome. Tell us how this works and, and a little bit about it, because I totally think most people are unaware of this. Of course, that's not in the book, but uh, the time that I I did that, and I assume you can still do it, mm-hmm. but you would take your sleeping bag. Some people did actually take portable tents, and, and uh, at night, uh, the ferry would, uh, you know, continue on up, and mm-hmm. you'd go upstairs, and you'd uh, uh, camp out, and a lot of times, uh, it's just, that's the way you did it, right. and of course, some, I've 
so there's the, no cabins. No. Well, there's there, no rooms. This is well, literally the, like the ferries we're used to. Well, no, there are cabins there, but they really fill up, particularly in the summertime. Mm-hmm. I have gone up there one time on the ferry, uh, staying in a cabin as well. But that was not in the main tourist season or the summertime. So is it passenger only, or do you have your cars on them? No, you can have your cars on it. So that's what makes the makes it a ferry rather than a ship, ship. is that it's literally that, like the ferries we're used to. That, yeah, that's right, except they're much bigger, and, of course, you can right. you can get cabins. And I, I did take, in fact, one of, uh, one of the books, I think the uh, – uh, Docks and Tales up the inside passage. Most of it was going by uh, our own boat up to Alaska. Mm-hmm. But uh, there is a story in there about my dachshunds getting loose on the ferry on the ferry <laughs> oh, deck, no. and that was that was lots of fun. Oh my goodness! Right, so dogs are allowed, but apparently they're supposed to be what on leash or in the car. Well, they had to be in the car, basically. Uh, well, where do they go poop? Well, over five days. Well, that's that's uh, you know you take them out whenever the ferries will stop at some of the places. So the ferries do stop, and they, they literally stop long enough you can get off, wander around, and get back on. Yes, yes. Oh, like several times a day. Uh, depends on where you know there what is segment yeah, of the trip you're yeah. on. Yeah, and and there are, but. The uh, the ferries there's uh, ferries that are up out of not out of Anchorage but out of uh, you know in that that southeast of there mm-hmm. and they go down. There's one that goes down all through the Aleutians and so forth. I've never been on those, but you can get on them in Seattle. Uh, it's now I think it's in Bellingham. Right. Yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. right. And that's the one that just goes up to Haynes and, and mm-hmm. Juneau Skagway is the, the end thing. But it's beautiful, isn't it? Uh, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, cool. All right, everybody. So when you're looking for um, a trip and you're thinking, oh, those cruise prices are so high, not to mention that Enterovirus loves to live on cruise ships and you never know if you're going to get sick or not, I'm going to recommend you also check out your option to take a ferry up there because I have heard many good things. I've never heard a bad story about this. Well, the the and the other thing is that uh, the book that I wrote, uh, I was basically the senior editor on it. And because I worked up in Alaska and traveled all over in the school system, mm-hmm. I had kind of a contest for kids to submit their own stories about the fairies or their oh, artwork right, right, right. or their poetry or whatever. And then we went and we went through and chose it and put nice. a book together. The kids that had anything that was chosen then got a copy of the book. Of course. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. So that was the other book that I've done besides the adoption in Peru. Very cool. Very cool. It's sort of like a collection. Oh, I love that. Okay. So apparently, I'm going to zoom up here. If all of you are sitting around thinking, my goodness gracious, March, give us contact information. We need to look this woman up. I'm going to do that for you. Marilyn has a website. It is www.cochranmosley.net. You can, of course, always go to my program tab at Voice of Ashton under the on-demand section, and the information will be there for my current author as well. Now, Marilyn also has email, and she's comfortable giving that out because some people may have questions about dachshunds um, or they want to know more about what's going on. She's happy to take your emails. That is m 
J C Mosley M O S L E Y thirty eight three eight at hotmail dot com. And even a phone call if you're in a desperate moment or you have some great idea and you prefer phone, 206-463-4751. This is how you can get a hold of Maryland if all these juicy ideas are just totally exciting for you. But now what I want to dive into here is um, you, of course, already had dogs and clearly have a an awareness of the necessary devotion that humans owe to their canine companions. So when you surprised your husband on Christmas Day with two puppies, you pretty much knew what you were doing. Obviously, you're going to handle it well. But I think most of us are very aware, and there's lots of um, advertising campaigns put out by the um, Humane Society and whatnot about please don't get a bunny rabbit for your child on Easter, or, of course, the typical puppy at Christmas, probably not a good idea. That's right. Okay. So um, dachshunds have particular characteristics um, that are specific to their breed. For someone who, like your husband, gets really excited every time someone walks by with a, a dachshund, what do they need to know before they decide this is the right dog for my family. What do these types of dogs, personality aside, because they all have a different personality, but just breed specific, what do they need from their human owners? Well, they're they're very, very stubborn. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> and they're, uh, they, uh, I think they really do bond very much with their family. A lot of them bark and Sometimes I, I've people get very upset with them, and mm. will start abusing them, and mm. that and that's that's what happens a lot of time. But I think it's important for a person that's going to go out and get a a, a specific breed that they do a a reading, do a lot of reading about what the personalities are of that animal, mm-hmm. uh, and will it fit in within their own home situation. Right. And for apparently up to 23 years. Well, that's unusual. unusual. <laughs> but uh, I've now, the the, the last, uh, I had one that I lost here a couple of years ago. I had adopted him when he was about 12 years old because his owners had passed away. Uh-huh. And a friend of mine called me from Arizona so we shipped Cappy up here, but unfortunately he was with the daughter of the person that had passed away for about two months, and he didn't understand why he couldn't go in the house for those two months, and he didn't understand why he wasn't getting all the love. And I think he really started developing dementia at that point mm. but anyway he lived until he was almost 18 years old and mm-hmm. he i got him up here and of course he was became one of the family mm-hmm. and uh then you know and and that was you know but up until that time because the woman that called me was a very close friend of the woman that had passed away mm-hmm. and so she knew this dog right but uh uh so, but it's getting to the point where if you really take good care, if you uh, they get regular vet v- visits, oh, they'll you can expect them 
14, 15, 16 years, 17 years is probably getting to be pretty common. Right, 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 right. But they're, and they're not chasing badgers anymore. And they're not chasing badgers anymore. <laughs> now, one of your stories, um, I don't think this is the actual title, but the first line or something um, go, runs along the lines of uh, never have two alpha females in the same house. Never. <laughs> and this, I believe, is a personal experience of yours? Well, I yeah, I have... Uh, I have two alpha females in the house now, and there's there's a couple of stories in there about the two. Mm-hmm. But I got them at, as, uh, well, Kylie is, I've had her since she was a puppy. She's on the back of your book, isn't she? Isn't uh, she's that... the one that I'm holding on the back, on the back. of my book. Right. Yeah. She's been the author for a lot of the stories of the last several books. She has uh, also traveled with me extensively all over the United States. Mm-hmm. She, uh, but uh, Roxy uh, had been, uh, was uh, a dachshund that belonged to a very close friend of mine who breeds and shows, mm-hmm. uh, show dogs. And Roxy was a champion and retired. She had had two uh, batches of puppies and my friend does not, uh, she will have maybe two batches and it's mainly she's looking for show dogs and to place with in show homes mm-hmm. and um, Roxy likes to bark <laughs> and <laughs> she anyway she asked me uh, I, I told her one day I because Roxy was also beating up on a couple of her other dogs mm-hmm. in her home I said well if you ever want to get rid of Roxy you know give me a call I'll be glad to take her well <laughs> the phone was almost <laughs> ringing before I hardly had said that <laughs> Oh no. oh, no. Oh, no. So Roxy is now with me, but Roxy and Kylie, Kylie, it was okay for the first several months. Right, right. And, and then after three months, she realizes Roxy isn't leaving. Is she's said. leaving. Yeah. She's not going to go home. But then I also, uh, that also applies to other breeds. And I'm thinking of my last two big dogs were Griffin Pointer mixes. And I did rescue those two. They were sisters from the Aleutian Islands, mm. and uh, I I worked for about twenty years back. I commuted back and forth between mm-hmm. here and Alaska, and uh, one time I was in one of the villages, and one of the teachers had this batch of puppies, oh. and I they she had to get rid of them by the weekend, and wow. I said, "Sure, I'll take two of them." Thinking, right. Marilyn, you're out of your mind, right? And right, right. They they and did you ask? Did you ask your husband, or did you? Oh, just by then him? he had no. He had been. He was dead then. By then he oh, died okay. in 1995. So I had uh, brought those two home. It's always funny the the surprise dogs the, that happened to my husband with our Boston Terrier. It was um, a fabulous opportunity that had a very narrow window, and so my younger son and I decided to go for it. And then um, on the way. <laughs> You know, my husband gets the phone call. So, honey, <laughs> um, you know, I just want to let you know. He's like, what? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, no, Bob very much liked animals. Mm-hmm. And he was, I could have, you know, I mean, uh, you know, he was the one that made the decision that we were going to keep all of the five puppies in the second batch. Well, that brings, okay, so, yes, let's jump back to this specific book right now. Island Dachshund Island Tales. Dachshund Tales, right. I thought, oh, no, wait, Vashon's not either right. Island <laughs> Dachshund Tales. And, okay, 
So the cover of this book, people, seriously, um, it's amazing. I actually thought it was a photograph. And after a while, I saw on the inside cover that there was an illustrator. I went, wait a minute. Illustrator. I flip back to the front cover and I'm searching and searching. I'm looking at this picture. And sure enough, I was eventually able to realize I was looking at a painting. And so um, I did some digging that the name of your illustrator is Sue Ellen Ross. And Sue Ellen is spelled really awesome. I love it. It's like you would expect, S-U-E and then E-L-L-E-N, but it's all one word, and the E of Ellen is not capitalized. So it looks sort of like from another language, almost Sue Ellen Ross, and I was amazed. Turns out, after I did some digging, um, she has been doing her artwork for years, decades. Um, Trailside Galleries of Jackson, Wyoming, and Scottsdale, Arizona, on their website, it says that the Leyaki Woodson Art Museum has just purchased Ross's painting titled Vantage Point for their permanent collection, and they're very excited. Um, this sounds like a really big deal, but the picture of Vantage Point is this bird, like a crane type of bird that's crawling down a branch, and you would think it's a photograph. Oh, my goodness. Tell us about Sue Ellen. Amazing work. Well, she is. She's an amazing artist. And I met her at the time that I was doing my second book. And at that point, she did all of the pen and ink sketches as well as the cover uh, for mm-hmm. the book. And then the third book, she also did the pen and ink sketches and the cover. And then from then on, I mean, I didn't do books after that and, until the late 1990s. And she has done the cover artwork of every single one of my books right, right but she's getting she's very close to retiring and i had to talk like crazy to get her to do this last painting well i'm glad she did i mean it's i mean the book is worth having just for the fact that it's got this glorious piece of artwork on the front of it the, not to I, mention the rest of it i would agree with that yeah. I, i'm very very excited about the artwork she would use uh, i love photography and I would take pictures but this particular picture that I gave her had a coffee cup sitting on one of the rocks and a couple oh. of flower pots and, and so she forth. got rid of those oh she got rid of those right 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 <laughs> well it's 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 awesome so everyone seriously I would recommend um googling Sue Ellen Ross um I guess she does sometimes show in the Seattle area maybe even on the island I don't know no she's She's never, she's been to my house, I think, only one time. Mm, where does she live? She lives over in West Seattle. Okay, okay. And she's, uh, but she has, uh, and I'm not even sure where her work is can be seen at this point other mm-hmm. than, you know, uh, on the internet. Uh, she's, uh, I Googled uh, her name and just, her name you know, keeps just coming reams up. and yeah, reams yeah. of stuff came up, as well as um, various um, places where you can not only see it, but also actually find something to take home with you. If that, you that, that's want right. Something. That's right. Yeah. And she's, she's very prolific. Yes, she is. She told me once, uh, way back when, that uh, I asked her about how her artwork developed. She said, well, when she was a kid, she used to draw maybe 100 horses a week. You know, and she just, and some of her 
uh, her birds that she's done, the herons and mm-hmm. so forth. They're just absolutely fantastic. Well, I know a young woman, a young, mm, uh, old girl, young woman, teenager um, on the island. And um, I won't mention her name because I don't have her permission to do so. But um, she is doing something f- somewhat similar. I think she's probably a freshman right now. And um, people are sending her photos of their horses. And now it's expanded a little bit into some of their other favorite pets. And she does sketches yeah. of, and it's just, and at this point, she's so good that people are like, please do this you know, beautiful sketch of my, you know, animal I can put up on the wall and, and they're paying her. Um, and so sort of a similar, so I, I yeah. actually will be Facebooking her later and mentioning that she check out Sue Ellen's work because yeah. she's yeah. doing a similar thing. Well, Sue Ellen uses a media of, uh, she said, watercolor, colored pencils and India ink on mm. this. And that's what she's, but her, her, all of her work. And I've got quite a, I've, have a lot of her prints and I have a number of her original works as well. Right. And um, I'm sorry I didn't purchase all of the pen mm-hmm. and ink sketches way back when. I've got most of them, but I don't have all of them. No. But her work is just phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Alrighty. So um, now, while your book is a collection of shorts, you know, is a good way to put it. It's not so much flash fiction, and they're not even necessarily really a short story. They almost seem to be like an excerpt from the life of the dog. That's that's right. And in, so in a way, um, for most of my listeners may be familiar with the book Watership Down, which is a fictional novel um, that's written from the perspective of rabbits. I think that that's right. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it is. And it's it's... It wanted, it's just, wow, man, I, I need to hand that book to my youngest son and get him reading it because it's so amazing. So you've written from the perspective of the dogs, not the humans. And I'm wondering what inspired you to actually take that, that tact? Because that's a specific writing construct that you chose. Was there like a moment where for some reason that just came to you as an idea? It just kind of came to me yeah and i all of my books all of the dachshund books are all written from the dog's point of view Mm -hmm. and i guess i was just tired of people saying well you couldn't do that really people said that back back then when i came out with the very first one they said oh no you uh one should always have uh humans you know you can't have talking animals and stuff well my dogs don't really talk i mean Mm -hmm. they're they think they think (laughs) yeah and i tell people that well they sit down there and uh, by my computer and direct me what i should type in Mm -hmm. but they the stories are pretty much just developed from their you know they are they're just excerpts of their everyday life right and of course i have done a lot of traveling and with with them and so that makes for a lot of Interesting. Interesting, yeah. If they just sat around tied up on some, you know, line in a backyard all the time, it might not be the m- most interesting collection of memories. But your dogs have had, I mean, I was flipping through them. It's like, they're all over the place, you know, all sorts of things. Yes, they have been. <laughs> We're always so human-centric, which, of course, fine, it makes sense. But still, um, I think we need to be smart enough as um, as humans to look outside of our own perspective 
whether we're dealing with another human and we're trying to understand how they're seeing us or what they're needing or how they view the world or looking through the eyes of another animal. That's right. And I, after the fourth, usually there are all sorts of animals that are traumatized, that are away from their owners. And I know the vet's uh, hours get filled right. up real quickly mm-hmm. because they've been hurt or uh, there's, there's a lot of problems the day after the fourth. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We will now. So our second dog, so no, my third dog. So first I had Tiny, and then Tiny passed. And about two years later, Angel landed in our lap, which was great. And then we got Demon. And my boys were still doing gymnastics in Auburn at that time. It was the 5th of July, and we were headed because, you know, you do – when you're in competitive gymnastics, it's all year round, and you don't really – you get like two weeks off. That's it. And it was the 5th of July, and we were headed to gymnastics, and the boys were dropped off around 8 in the morning. And I went out, and there's this dog running around. Now, I actually believe she she was dumped. It, it, the appearance I had was it's this huge intersection, and this this car comes racing down the road out of the suburban sort of area, racing towards this big, giant intersection near this huge mall, turns a corner and, and zooms away, and right behind this car comes my dog, Demon, racing down the road, chasing the car. Yeah. And she wasn't barking at the car. She was just trying to keep up. So, um, and she had a brand-new collar that had obviously just been purchased at a store with no tags on it. And what I heard was that Auburn is a really high-rate dumping ground for dogs, that a lot of people from more poor areas will just go to Auburn, dump the dog, and leave, and hope that someone nice will rescue the dog. That's right. And that that happens all the time. But it was actually still, it was the 5th of July when that happened. And um, I would walk around that neighborhood when the kids were doing gymnastics, they don't want to just sit around for four and a half hours. So I'd go walking, and it's like right after the holiday, all these little signs would pop up in this neighborhood of this dog's missing or that cat's missing or whatever. That's right. You know, it's the post-holiday look-for-my-pet experience. All righty. Well, thank you so much, Marilyn, for talking with me about your newest book, Island Dachshund Tales. Island Dachshund Tales. There, I said it right. Um, And all of your other books, your experiences. And as a reminder for my listeners, I believe you can often be found as the new farmer's market season starts. Will you be at the local four lit booth very often this year? I will be there at least. Yeah, I I was there twice a month, maybe probably once or twice a month, probably around the beginning or the ending of the month. I'm planning on being there this next Next weekend, and uh, I was there last weekend. And uh, how was the opening weekend? I wasn't there on the opening weekend. Oh. I was uh, unfortunately, okay. but I that understand. Was it was, yeah, it. yesterday was uh, it was cold and windy, mm. and it wasn't really conducive to looking at books. <laughs> well, yes, yes, yes. Pick and choose the dates, right? That's right. Um, and of course, we we cover that you have a website. So everyone who's just tuning in right now, you are listening to me say goodbye to um, Marilyn Cochran Mosley. Um, you can catch my show um, at www.voiceofvashon.org. Just go to the on demand tab, or you can come back next weekend, or 
you can catch me the next time the show plays on 101.9 FM, KVSH. And as I mentioned earlier, you do have a website, which is www.cochranmosley.net. That's C-O-C-H-R-A-N-M-O-S-L-E-Y. And gosh golly, Marilyn, thanks for coming. Well, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, this was great. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And now, as we approach the end of the show, it's time for another Flash Fiction vignette from my Vashon After the Change series. The heaviness of the late summer air left my clothes hanging lifeless against limbs I could no longer lift as childish squeals matched the torpid sound of flies swarming. The windless air full with them, clouds of black bodies intruding and retreating driven by hunger toward rack upon rack of shredded flesh. The bride is lucky. Hers is one of the only intact families on the island. Three of her youngest cousins, also lucky, dash to and fro, waving leafy branches at the marauding invaders devoted to the impossible task of maggot watch. I never went to a wedding before the change. My parents' friends had all been comfortably married or more happily divorced. Still, I know, as I pull at a blade of grass with blood-stained fingers, that weddings back then, they weren't like this. Weddings now are fall events time to coincide with hunting season, the ceremonies always coming after the butchering, when our bodies ache from a week of bloodletting and the fattened deer have been rendered into chunks for smoking and strips for drying. This is my fourth wedding in a month. I'm worn out. My boots are in shreds, and I'm dead tired of eyes dimming, hoarse last breaths, and the terrified cries of late-born, orphaned, young. Still, I accepted the offer. In the cold of winter, we will need the meat. A woman's voice breaks into song, and tired heads lift over bowed shoulders, eyes opening out of respect and hope. Hope that the ceremony will be brief. Hope that the wedding roasts will cook quickly. Hope that there will be time to fill our bellies before the sun dips beyond the inescapable curtain of mist that rises just off our lonely shores, trapping us all. I try to listen, but here, closest to the meat, it is impossible between the enthusiastic fly-swatting squeals and shouts of the girls and the ever-present hum of an insect army on its own justifiable hunt, few words reach my ears. Maggot watch is the best job, reserved for children nine and younger. When you're ten, they give you a bucket and send you to carry guts. (laughs) 
still, no one complains. We all need the meat. But today, there is another distraction. I blush, unable to look toward the battle raging just a few feet away. The rumor mill got it right for a change. The girl, young woman, my mother had corrected, is as new as new can be when you live on an island 7,000 strong and dwindling. It has been only two years, four months, and seven days since the change. That dreadful morning that you never quite forget, when the mists came and we lost track of the world, or it lost track of us, and already people are talking, worrying. There aren't enough babies, they say. The first one comes early, a family friend had once said, referring to quickie marriages when quickie dates led to quickie consequences. I look up at the rounded belly of the bride as she passes. No one hides pregnancy now. Who would when a woman with child gets twice the rations of a man? Hunting has become the norm. We hunt for deer. We hunt for edible greens. We hunt for berries and mushrooms and anything else you can put in your belly. And, as nature has long dictated, we hunt for a mate. My mind turns to the new girl, rich with inevitable possibility. Hot-cheeked, I duck my head, flinging thoughts away. The line of suitors will be long for this one, with many far richer than I in land, extended family, and resources. She is close enough to touch and entirely unreachable. My head jerks up as tired applause startles the birds out of the apple trees and a hand clamps down on my sunburned shoulder. Care to spell a couple of the maggot watchers? The voice of my mother's chiropractor is gruff. He's been sickish of late, but the look in his eye is sharp and kind. I shrug, pretend nonchalance at the prospect of working with the girl who ran away from God's Island, the religious enclave that took over the south end of Vashon. He smiles, not fooled, but gracious enough to pretend that he is. Do you know her name? I swallow hard as bodies rise around me. The wedding is over. Did the groom kiss the bride? Who knows? Fewer care as they turn to tasks generated by three days of orchestrated slaughter. Avoiding his gaze, I shake my head, learning the definition of tongue-tied firsthand. Neither do I, he says. But she reminds me of a girl my daughter used to babysit. So find out for me, won't you? Sure, I agree, turning resolutely toward the hanging racks, a sudden question coming to mind. What have the last two years, four months, and seven days in the South End been like for her? <laughs> Thank mm -hmm. you.
This is an original work, copyrighted by March Twisdale. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or transcriptions of this piece is expressly forbidden without the written permission of the author. But we hope you enjoyed it. And that's our show, folks. You've been listening to Prose, Poetry, and Purpose on KVSH 101.9 FM. This is March Twisdale, program host and producer. Thank you for tuning in as my authors share how they hope to inspire positive change in our world, one reader at a time. And now, I'm happy to close with a song from our island's own Allison Shirk, titled Monster. One more example of activism through art. Shit.